Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 36. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gisenaret. And when the men of that place recognised Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ the Word. Oh, thank you, Rachel, for reading that. And good morning, everyone. Very good to see you. Erin uh, and Grace, what was that song we just sang? What's it called? The Lord is My Salvation. Hands up if you've never sung that before. I don't think I've ever sung that before. Fitted in really well with that passage and what we're um, looking at this morning. So that was very good. We may want to sing it again later. We may. I'm just throwing that out there. Right. Let me pray and we'll uh, think on the passage that uh, Rachel just read to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to uh, be spending this series in Matthew's Gospel, face to face with the Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the chance to uh, see him, to hear him, to uh, have time to reflect on what he was doing and what he was saying, who he was and what he achieved. And this morning as we see this uh, passage, which I think is fairly well known, Jesus walking on the water, we pray, Lord, that um, this incident, which may seem so removed from our lives today, we may see the significance of it, the wonderful truth of it, that it might change our thinking towards you, may change the way we live life uh, in a very different place in a very different time. Father, we thank you for the chance to look at the Lord Jesus, and we pray that in doing that this morning, you may help make us more like him. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, well, as I just prayed, um, if you're new or visiting us here at St. Stephen's this morning, we're very pleased to have you, but you won't know we've, been, we've just started back into a series in Matthew's Gospel. We started it last week, we're continuing it again today with the words that we just heard uh, Rachel read to us. As human beings, we have a, a strange relationship with fear. Sometimes we hate fear. We blame it for lives not lived up to their potential or we see it as a weapon used to control or subdue people or groups of people. Fear is seen as something negative, something to avoid, 
something to rise above or escape. It's very negative. But other times we see fear more positively. Uh, There are lots of people who enjoy watching scary things, uh, precisely because they they like the thrill of fear, normally when they know they're protected from whatever they're watching, but they, they kind of like it. Parents, if they are wise, will want their children to have right fear, not no fear, right fear, so that they, they would raise their children to have uh, to appropriately fear what should be feared and not irrationally fear what shouldn't be feared. But no fear isn't a positive in that space. We actually want uh, fear because no fear can be foolishness. It can be rashness. And so fear in that sense is more positive. And we've got those two aspects of the notion of fear when it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to the scriptures. In one sense, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is a sense there that fear is absolutely right. We don't remain in fear, we move to love and we've got a great relationship with God, but fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in the scriptures. So there's a rightness, a positive, a positivity to that kind of fear. But on the other hand, fear is often the enemy of faith. Particularly in the Gospels, particularly in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you will see faith and fear being contrasted against each other. And faith is always in Jesus and is therefore good, and fear is in other things other than Jesus and is therefore the enemy. It's wrong. And our passage this morning has that contrast, that comparison between faith and fear going through it. We will see appropriate fear and inappropriate fear. We will see strong faith and we will see little faith. And I want you, as we go through this passage, which can be quite well known and so we can just gloss over it, I want you to see the details, see those words and concepts there as we go through it. We're going to go through the passage in a little bit more detail. I'll just draw out a couple of things which maybe we can skim over if we're not thinking carefully. Then I've got just two very short points that I want us to think about and be challenged by this morning. So let's have a look through the verses, Alex, if we can have them up there. We begin verse 22, it tells us immediately. So something's happened before our passage. And uh, if you weren't here last week, you won't know what that was. So let me tell you, it was the feeding of the 15,000. I've started calling it the feeding of the 15,000. Trademark J. I want want to be paid for that. It's It's a good term. So our passage, we're told, takes place immediately after that great feeding miracle. And what it is that immediately happens afterwards is Jesus gets his disciples to go into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake. He stays there to dismiss the crowds. 15,000 people or more he's sending on their way. Now I want you to notice what he's just done. Because the disciples are about to get into a terrible situation. They're going to be in a storm, fearing for their lives on this lake. And I want you to see that they faced this situation precisely because they obeyed Jesus. You don't have to draw too big a string to know that when you go through the Gospels and you look at a passage like this, often what we, do, we, we think is, well, the disciples of Jesus went through a storm, but they had Jesus, and we go through storms in life, but we can have Jesus, and we draw those comparisons. I think it's right to do that. I'll be doing some of that this morning. But I bring this to your attention because sometimes people think when they go through the storms of life, when they face real difficulties and struggles, it must be because they've done something wrong. It must be because they've let God down in some way and this is a punishment or it's, it's a result of failure. No, not always. The disciples here go through a storm 
precisely because they literally did what Jesus had asked of them. They were obedient. Sometimes the storms of life come at those very moments we are closest to the Lord and most faithfully trying to follow him. It doesn't always follow the other way, and I want you to know that. It's very clear from this morning's uh, verses. Well, as the disciples head off, we find Jesus do something that he actually did last week too. He takes time alone. This week, explicitly, we're told why he, he removes himself from everyone else, to pray. That's what he does. Now, I'm not going to spend any more time on this, except to say, if you weren't here last week, go online on the website and listen to last week's talk, because uh, we, we looked at the importance of every now and then getting away from distractions and noise, getting away from people and the hustle and bustle of life to pray or to meditate on the word, or to reflect. Because Jesus here, I don't think, is just acting as the Christ or the Messiah in a way that we should never try and follow. He's acting as a human being. There's real wisdom in doing this, and we spoke about it last week. And Matthew wants us to get it because he, he kind of draws attention to it twice there in verse 23, doesn't he? We're told he goes up on a mountainside by himself, and then we're told evening came and he was there alone. We're supposed to be noticing this. There's a real need for this in life. So if you didn't hear it last week, do listen to it. There's some um, good stuff for us to think about and perhaps put into practice in our lives there. Well, verse 24 then says that as Jesus is praying alone on the mountain, the boat with the disciples in it, which is a considerable distance from land, we're told, encounters this severe storm. Now, this incident also cro crops up in Mark and John's Gospel, and it puts a little bit more detail there on the level of the storm. This is not a good storm. So it's, it's a terrible situation. And we're told in verse 25 that during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them. Now, fourth watch of the night is not normal language or, uh, for you and I, so, but we need to understand it to properly get an appreciation of what's going on here. It's Roman language, that. It's uh, Roman timekeeping. And as we know, the Romans were experts in warfare and battles and uh, that kind of thing. And they know, and knew, as everyone does, that nighttime you're very vulnerable to attack if you're Roman soldiers. And so they would split the night up into separate watches so that there was always one group of the battalion awake, keeping watch all the way through the night so that they wouldn't be snuck up on. So they broke it up into four. So the first watch was what you and I would call six o'clock to nine o'clock at night. The second watch was nine o'clock to midnight the third watch was midnight to 3 o'clock in the morning, and the fourth watch was 3 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the morning, the time just before dawn. So when it says during the fourth watch Jesus came to them, it means that this is between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. Now, why is that important? Well, we've just been described, it's just been described in the verse before that, that, that the storm blew up during the evening, which means... The disciples have been fighting it all night. The disciples in pitch black with wet and cold have been fighting for their lives in this boat on the sea, fearing for their lives the whole night through. Some of you will have had long nights and you'll know exactly what's kind of going on here and how difficult it can be. But we're told that now, just as dawn is approaching, that kind of three to six time period, just as the dark is getting slightly less dark and the light is starting to make things not just more visible but perhaps more bearable, 
Jesus walks out to them on the lake. And that's what he does here. I don't want there to be any misunderstandings this morning. He walked out to them on the lake. Jesus walks on water here. Matthew again says it twice because he wants us to be sure about this. Verse 25 and verse 26, he walked out on the lake towards them. Matthew doesn't want there to be any misunderstandings either. This is not a hallucination. This is not Jesus was actually walking on the beach near them because the boat had moved closer to the shore and the disciples hadn't realised. This is not Jesus walking on a sandbar, which I, I once heard someone say as they were preaching that what the disciples didn't know was it was a sandbar under that particular part of the water and Jesus had just was walking on it and it looked like he was. That's nonsense. Uh, he's showing his power. This is miraculous. And it sounds, I think it sounds awesome, this, but it's even better than it sounds because you can miss the significance of what's going on here. In the scriptures, the sea, the water is often an image used of destructive forces or forces against God. Have a think about in the Old Testament where it will sometimes talk about the Leviathan, who's the beast of the deep, dwells in the sea. Have a think about how God destroys the world. He does it by flood, by the waters. In the book of Revelation, it says, when there's a picture of the new creation, it says there will be no sea. And surfers get annoyed by that. You're saying there's no sea in the new creation? I think that's figurative because what it's saying is what there will be none of is an area which is destructive and is opposed to God's purposes. I think there will be sea there. Relax, surfers. I think you're good. But, I, but you can see what it's saying. So if that's what the symbol of the sea is, think what it means as Jesus just walks over the top of it as if it's nothing. It's an incredible sign and symbol of his authority and power. And the disciples, when they see this, react in what way? They're terrified. This is good fear. This is right fear. They, they cry out. They say, this is a ghost, they exclaim, and then they cry out in fear. This is appropriate fear, because when you see that kind of power and authority, it should unnerve you. This is authority over creation. This is a, a sovereignty that should cause alarm because we know how powerful nature is. Anything more powerful than nature is incredible. But Jesus doesn't leave them in their fear. God never leaves people in their fear when they cry out to him because Jesus then says these wonderful words. And they are words that were spoken to this particular group on this incident and occasion to these disciples during this awful, lonely, scary, dreadful night. But I think these are words that every Christian should take comfort from because they, there's a truth to them that is regardless of place and time. If you're a person who trusts in the Lord Jesus, these are words that he speaks to each of us at times. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. I mentioned this verse. If you were with us at the AGM on Thursday night, it's the verse that I read out as I started our time together as a, a church fellowship. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, remember those words. And at times when you're finding life the hardest, take comfort and confidence and find conviction in these words. You're never alone in these times. You've got the one who can say to you, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Well, they certainly seemed to embolden Peter uh, because there's an immediate response to him. 
And uh, I think this is why we love Peter, isn't it? Peter, Peter has had this whole night in fear for his life. He must have been shattered. He'd have been, as one of the experienced fishermen of the uh, disciples, he must have been most involved in trying to keep the boat safe and working against the elements. And then he's just seen Jesus come out and he's been terrified by that. But as soon as he hears Jesus speak, he's straight in there. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Peter would be hard not to like, I think. He's just got such a great part to his personality. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus just says one word, and that's enough for Peter. He says, come. So Peter comes. He hops out of the boat, and he then walks on water too. It says he walks towards Jesus. The word could either be towards or to Jesus. I think it's to. I'll tell you why in a moment, but um, I think it's to. It's brilliant here. Now, this is not actually in the other two accounts of this incident. In Mark's Gospel and John's Gospel, it doesn't mention Peter, but I'm so glad Matthew does. Remember, the Gospel writers always have to choose which parts they're going to focus on because Jesus said and did so many things, they can't write everything. If Matthew hadn't written his account, we wouldn't have got this picture of Peter, and I'm so glad we did. It's a great moment, right? As he walks on the water. Lucky Peter. But alas, it only lasts for a a little moment because Peter suddenly becomes aware of his surroundings. He suddenly feels the wind and realises the danger he's in. We're told he sees the wind. I'm not sure how you see the wind, but he did. And uh, he becomes afraid and we're told he starts to sink into the water. He cries out, thankfully, he doesn't just keep sinking, he cries out, Lord, save me. And wonderfully, Jesus reaches out his hand. This is why I think Peter walked to Jesus, because Jesus didn't have to go and get him or anything like that. He just takes out his hand and grabs him. Peter had got all the way, and he, he holds on to Peter. You have little faith, he says. Why did you doubt? So it's very clear that Peter's fears led him to doubt, and then he started to sink. Well, then Jesus and Peter get into the boat, and although Matthew doesn't um, kind of focus on it, something else miraculous happens here because the storm immediately dies down when Jesus and Peter get into the boat. We then see the disciples respond to what they've just witnessed, respond to what Jesus has said and done, and I'll focus on that in a moment. And then in verses 34 to 36, we see them arrive at their destination and start to minister there. So that's the passage. This is Jesus walking on the water. So two quick points for us to think about and consider and be taken by from these verses. And the first is, fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is the enemy of faith. I've said before there's a positive element, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but normally in the scriptures, fear is the enemy of faith. As I said before, I'm so glad Matthew included for us this little account of Peter walking on the water, because I think not only does this describe, obviously accurately, what went on at the time, but I think what happens to Peter here is a snapshot of what happens in the life of every Christian. What we see in just this couple of verses here about Peter is what is true for every Christian in life in this fallen world. What I mean by that is Jesus is there and Peter sees him, hears from him. He actually walks across the water for Peter and says, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And Peter responds in faith. That's what every Christian does. They see Jesus and they respond in faith. Not perfect faith, because Peter even says here, if it's you tell me to come. So it's not perfect faith, but it's faith in Jesus. 
And then Peter starts walking by faith. Wonderfully, in this kind of incident, we see him literally doing that on water, walking on the water as well. But then as the struggles of life grasp him, as the difficulties and the issues and circumstances of life cause him to have fear, Peter struggles. His fears become greater than his faith. He takes his eyes off Jesus. In fact, as I said before, Matthew tells us he sees the wind. You can't see the wind, I don't think, but I think Matthew's point is he takes his eyes off Jesus. And then his faith falters and he gets into trouble and he starts to sink. But then as he's sinking, struggling in his faith, as we all do at different times in our walk with the Lord, he cries out to Jesus again, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out, grabs him by the hand, holds on to him, and brings him safely through the storm. Do you see what I mean? That little interlude with Peter is a description of the life of faith that every Christian has. It's what we all go through. We have faith in Jesus Christ, but then life gets on top of us, and the things in this world are more in focus for us than Jesus our Savior. And we take our eyes off him, and the fears of this world cause us to doubt and then cause us to sink. And Peter had every right to fear here at one level. He was an experienced fisherman. He knew exactly what the perils of the sea was. He knew exactly the the level of danger that was surrounding him. He knew the threat accurately. But it had caused him, so it's not like he had nothing to be afraid of. He had something to be afraid of. But it had so warped his mind that he'd forgotten who was in front of him, the person he had faith in. But it's not just Peter. Easy for us to kind of look down on Peter. This is what happens to you and I. Our lives get filled with things that we fear. And those fears pull us away from the Lord. They pull us away from trusting in Jesus. They will be different for all of us. For some of us, there will be certain problems that we're facing right now. And they're they're really the fears that take our eyes off Jesus, cause us doubt, pull us away, and we start sinking. For some of us, it's losses that we've gone through, changes in life. For some of us, it's addictions or failures. And we can very easily, like Peter, become so aware of the wind and the waves. That's what takes our attention and focus, that we doubt, that we lose heart, and that we sink. I read uh, in a book yesterday, it was Jamie actually who told me, so I still haven't proven this to be true yet, but I read it in a book, so it must be true. Um, the, The question asked in this book was, what's the most common command that God gives to people in the scriptures? And the answer was, do not be afraid. Apparently it's over 300 times in the scriptures. Do not be afraid or take courage or a variation on that. Not any of the Ten Commandments, not any, some of those other things, it's do not be afraid. Because the enemy of faith is fear. And fears will pull us away from the Lord. Beware letting the storms of life get on top of you so that your focus becomes just in the fear. Your eyes come off Jesus and you start to falter in your faith. It may be a realistic fear. Some of these things that get on top of us are genuine and they're real. And the, but the enemy of faith is fear. So how then do we sort out the problem of fear, especially if it is real and genuine? Well, secondly, 
Jesus is the power of faith. Jesus is the power of faith. There's only one reason that um, faith is so good. It's because you put your eyes on the one in whom you can put your, your, your hope. There's one reason that Christians can have faith, not fear, even in the face of storms and struggles, because of whom our faith is placed in, because of the Lord Jesus. This incident shows how incredible Jesus is. And I don't think we pick up on it sometimes. I think we think it's cool, walking on water, but we don't see the true depth and uh, wonder of this. But I'll tell you how you can tell how incredible it was. What was the disciples' response to it? Verse 33, they worshipped him and they said, truly you are the son of God. We've never seen a verse like that in Matthew's gospel so far. Up until this point, chapter 14 of Matthew's Gospel, only two entities have correctly said that Jesus is God's Son. Who are those two entities? One is God the Father, when he said, this is my Son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. The other is the demons. The demons knew that Jesus was God the Son, but no human being has grasped yet that the person in front of them is God the Son until Jesus does this. And never before have they worshipped him. But now when they see this with their own eyes, they worship him and they say, truly this is the Son of God. That's massive in Matthew's Gospel. All the healings they've seen haven't caused them to think that. The feeding of the 15,000, trademarked by Jay, hasn't caused them to say that. They've, They've seen him raise people from the dead. That hasn't caused them to say it, but they do now. They worship him and they say, truly this is the Son of God. Why? Well, because the sea had that power and thought in the, in the minds of the Israelites. Moses, in the Old Testament, the great servant of God, was able, with God's help and putting a staff above his head, to part the seas. Jesus just strides over them with no prayer, with no staff, no anything else. This is unlike anyone we've ever seen before. The, the point is very clear. This is the one that creation itself bows to. This is the one above all other things. This is the one you want on your side and as part of your team. And this is who your faith is in. This one. This is why you can have faith, not fear. Because he's on your side, you're on his team. That's who is the object of our faith. I've heard people sometimes say to Christians, I've actually had one person say it to me, I wish I had your faith. And I know what people mean when they say that, but it's a flawed statement because faith is empty and meaningless except for the object of that faith. Jesus is the power of faith. It's not just that you and I are to have faith, it's who our faith is in, the one that creation bows before, the one who's in charge of all things, the one who's our shepherd, who knows us by name and will not let go of us. That's who our faith is placed in. Following Jesus in this world doesn't make life easy. It doesn't remove us from problems. Sometimes it's following Jesus that brings extra problems and difficulties, just like with the disciples here. They wouldn't have been in the situation they were in unless they'd obeyed Jesus. But the life of a Christian is always a life of ultimate confidence because we know what happens ultimately. The life of a Christian is always of complete assurance because we know how it finishes in the end. There's always complete um, certainty 
because we know we have the victory, because we know we have Jesus. Because there is nothing in this world that we might fear that can thwart Jesus. No problem, no weakness, not death, not loss, not failure. None of the dangers in this world are more powerful than Jesus, who holds us. And so when you and I are face-to-face face face with those things, when we are really feeling the wind and the waves and sensing the danger around us, I pray that we will remember the one who stands before us saying, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. That's who's with you. That's who you have the privilege of crying out to. That's who will grasp you and make sure he brings you safely home. Peter cried out, let's follow in his footsteps. And let's cry out knowing that he will grasp onto us. Peter may have taken his eyes off Jesus, but the wonderful thing is Jesus never took his eyes off Peter. And Jesus will not take his eyes off any of his sheep. When you and I cry out to him, he hears us and he responds to us. There will never be anything in this life that you may fear, any experience where you are too alone or where he can't reach you or be with you or heal you or be able to deal with it for you. Jesus is the power of faith. So we have a choice, faith not fear. That's the option that the scriptures bring to us. It may be this morning that some of us need to reorient ourselves today because fear has become the norm of how we live. It's brought the doubts like Peter did and the sinking. That happens in life because the wind and the waves are so real and so immediate and can be so powerful. If that's you, I'd encourage you this morning, I've been encouraging myself uh, this week, to take pause and look up again at Jesus and remember who's with you. Remember your Saviour. Your fears may have, they may be well placed in some ways, struggles real, but Jesus is greater and more and with you. Fear is the enemy of faith. But Jesus is the power of faith. Keep your eyes on him. More importantly, know he's got his eyes on you and he will not let you go. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for our wonderful saviour. We thank you for the one who can walk on water. The one for whom all knees shall bow and tongues confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We thank you that we're on his side, that he's in our team. And I pray, Lord, particularly for any this morning that may be going through specific fears, fears that are causing doubts, real doubts and real difficulties. And I ask, Lord, that their eyes may be lifted to look at the one in whom they can have confidence, in whom they can have security and assurance, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one in whom their faith is placed. And I pray that that may strengthen them. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.